You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I definitely did. I felt a little bit of pressure, but like with me now, I feel like I'm at a at a perfect spot like mentally and physically. So that's one of the biggest things. I just wanted to have a clear mind and just compete each and every day. I got high expectations. It's simple as that. Like I'm planning on playing like my best football by far, playing the top of my game, and I'm expecting an all-pro season, and I'm saying that right now. And we are back, show in BK on the Chiefs on the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel. Show has unlimited vacation days, apparently. That's how this works. So he is once again off. It is myself, Brandon Kylie, BK, and Steven Serta holding it down today. Serta, I don't understand. I feel like Ron is off like at least one out of every three shows that we do here. I want his vacation package. I need to find a way to get that specific package through Vox Media. It's weird because he's actually in Kansas City. Uh, <laughs> he's just not. Like, normally, he's in Houston and doesn't have a problem showing up to record. But when he's actually in Kansas City and local, he, he can't make the podcast this week. You so. guys were with each other yesterday. He could have just recorded like specific spots of the podcast for us with you yesterday. And instead, he's like, nah, I'm, I'm not going to be able to make it. What a prima donna. Well, and I will say, I've been trying to get an answer from him all week as to whether or not he was going to show up for the podcast. <laughs> and he's just been avoiding the question until today. We were just finally like, Okay, we're just going to record the podcast. We're just going to assume you're not going to be there. And he didn't show up. So I don't think he's going to pop in at any point. He did show up briefly, but he happens to be on the air on his actual radio show while we're recording this. So he was just kind of here hanging out while we were just looking at one another. So that's that's Ron for you. Uh, Speaking of not making any sort of responses when people ask you something, the Chiefs didn't have any responses this week about Frank Clark and why he was not at minicamp. Until it was reported by Ian Rappaport that he's not at minicamp because he's expecting the birth of his child any day. So congratulations to Frank Clark. Based on all of the videos that we've seen, it looks like he's keeping himself in good shape. Uh, There were a couple of other stories, though, that I wanted to talk about, Serta, from mandatory minicamp. And it's two press conferences that I want to hone in on. Because let's be honest, what they are watching in terms of the people that are actually out there at minicamp right now. And Pete's done a great job of tweeting out all of his observations. It's basically t-shirts and shorts, and you can't take a ton from these practices. But when they talk to the media, I do think you can get some glimpses into what what's going on out there. There were two of them in particular that stood out to me. The first one was Juan Thornhill. And it wasn't necessarily anything in particular that he said, although he did guarantee he was going to have an all pro season this year. And he said, you can write that down. I'm going to be an all pro in 2022. But more than that, it was the confidence with which he spoke in the entirety of his press conference. Serta. He talks about how it, for the first time, really in a couple of years now, he's got confidence in his knee. He doesn't feel like he's having to think about how his knee's going to react whenever he's doing things on the field. 
He's talked about how he's taking on more of a vocal role as a leader on the back end of the defense now that Tyron Matthew has moved on to New Orleans. I kind of believe him. Like, I don't want to fall into these off-season tropes of like, best shape of my life. It's going to be the year that I take a more vocal role, all these different things. But it's not hard to buy into when we've seen Juan Thornhill, not at an all-pro level, but at a borderline Pro Bowl level early on in his career. And if he is actually healthy going into this season and now going into the month or so before we get to training camp, man, I, I think this could be a really special season for Juan Thornhill. It does feel like we've been chasing that rookie year now, um, like since then. And he he suffered the ACL injury and it took him a long time to get back to that. But he's a, a player who is at his best when he can cover a lot of ground, like when he can use his athleticism and his speed. And we haven't seen that from him as much over the last couple of years. And I don't really know what was going on with spags and and dan Sorensen and juan thornhill and like why it took so long to make that transition last year but you know, juan was better than dan like once they decided to do it like that was indisputable and i think chiefs fans should be excited i loved hearing the confidence in him and he even said like you know when tyron was here i was kind of quiet because he was always the the loud guy he was always like the leader and everybody looked to him on the defense and he was always making sure everybody's where they needed to be and him acknowledging that he maybe wasn't as loud as he needed to be when tyron was here but now that he's like stepped in to try to fill that void and he's like acknowledging that like it does make you confident that he can be that kind of player again and they're gonna need him to be like i i think that like now you're in a situation where he is the veteran playmaker in that secondary and they need him to be a playmaker and they need him to be a leader there. So I absolutely loved his confidence. Like I was like, yeah, Juan, I was juiced <laughs> after his press conference. It made you feel good, right? Like I, I just want to hear him sound like this is the off season that he believes it. Like if he believes it, I'm willing to buy in. I'm willing to let him hurt me as somebody who's been a Juan Thornhill believer over the years. And so, yeah, it sounded like he was getting closer to being that guy again. And I I love the fact that you said that he's a super important piece at the back end. I think he's important for the whole defense because the way the Chiefs are building this year is the opposite of what Steve Spagnuolo has done most of his career. They're almost building as if their defensive backfield has to be better than their defensive line. And the reason why is like, you look at that defensive line right now, don't get me wrong. I love Chris Jones. I like the idea of George Karloftis and we'll get to him here in just a minute. Frank Clark, I think has a chance to have a bounce back season this year, but there is almost no depth along the defensive line right now. Tershawn Wharton's a good player, but he's limited in terms of the role that he's going to take on. Your number three defensive end right now is what? Mike Dana? And it's not like he has a ton of juice coming off of the edge. So they're going to need that secondary to be the strength of the defense going into the season. And that's the opposite of the way that you typically see Steve Spagnolo defenses build in the past. They've just believed that Spags' scheme can make those guys right. You have a Traverius Ward who's a, a fine, solid player, and he becomes a really good high-level player in Spags' system. It's similar to what you've seen in San Francisco where they're like, hey, we can find guys in the defensive backfield And we're just going to have a ton of dudes getting after the quarterback. And that's the way that we're going to make it work. The Chiefs are going about it the opposite way this year. It's almost following more of the New England model. And I'm fascinated to see if that can work. And Juan Thornhill is a huge piece of being able to make it work. 
And it can work both ways. Like we talk about how, you know, the pass rush is obviously going to make the secondary's life easier because it's less time that they have to worry about if you can get after the quarterback. But if your secondary can cover and make sure guys aren't open downfield, that can help your pass rush, which I do think is a red flag. And yeah, we'll get into it here uh, more in a little bit, but it's an issue. I think like Mike Dana, I know a lot of chiefs fans are talking themselves into Malik Herring right now. And, you know, maybe you get something from Joshua Kando, but when you look at the death chart, you're like, that's just a bunch of dudes. Like that, that's just a bunch of dudes that I do not feel confident in at all. But then when I start going through the rest of the defensive roster, I'm like, well, I like this group. I like this group. I like these guys. I think these guys could be really good. And so it's, it's all going to work together, but I am starting to feel like more and more confident about this secondary. And I wasn't you know, pre-draft process. I've really talked myself into it over the last few weeks. The Chiefs have kind of done like a, a reverse build of what they used to be because they were such a top heavy team where it was like, hey, their top five players you can argue are better than anybody else's top five in the league. And then there was just this massive gap between that top five and the rest of the roster. And now they're starting to build in that they, they have that depth that other teams have been able to boast against them. And it'll be interesting to see how that works. And part of that is George Karloftis along the defensive line. They need him like right away to be really, really good. And I had some skepticism about that. I like George Karloftis. I, I thought it was a really good pick when they made it at the back end of the first round. But last year at Purdue in 12 games, he had four and a half sacks. He just, he didn't look like the same guy that he was his freshman year. And I think a big part of that is because he bulked up. He, he had a little bit of weight and it lost some of the explosion that he had in his first year on campus when he had 17 tackles for loss and seven and a half sacks at Purdue. And I thought it was really interesting. This was the other comment at minicamp that I uh, wanted to hone in on. George Karloftis told the media that he's lost about 10 or 15 pounds this offseason compared to the playing weight that he was at last year at Purdue. Serta, I think that's exactly the way that I would like to see George Karloftis attacking this offseason. If he can get back to the guy that he was in 2019 at Purdue, I'm not saying he's going to go out there and have 10 sacks or anything like that for the Chiefs this year. I think the expectation is like six to eight. But I do think that it gives me more confidence that he can reach that six to eight sack threshold this year, which should help them at least be passable along the defensive line. And we've already talked about skinny Frank, like Frank, Frank <laughs> has dropped a lot of weight this off season. So I may, maybe that is uh, an indicator of kind of a shift in philosophy where Spags has always gone after these huge guys on the edge, like these big power rush guys who were just like physically imposing. And Frank's still a big guy, but he is skinny right now. He looks like he has trimmed down a lot and Karloftis losing that weight to try to make himself faster and more explosive. Like maybe that is a change in philosophy where Spags is like, we just got to be faster than everybody else now. Like we just got to get off the edge faster. And yeah, Karloftis. And the reason I'm so scared about this is because like, when you look at the top end, like premium young pass rushers in the NFL, like miles Garrett, chase young, if you want to put him in there, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, when he was younger, like, when you look at the top end guys like that, their rookie seasons, like it's still a, a learning curve and there's still a lot for them to get into. But it's like you're talking about a ceiling of like seven to nine sacks usually with like the most elite guys. And, you know, Karloftis isn't necessarily viewed like that. It doesn't mean that he can't play himself into that and, and wind up becoming that one day. 
but it's going to take him a while to get there. And ideally you wouldn't have to lean on him to say like, and George, we need eight sacks out of you this season. Like ideally you wouldn't have to do that to him as a rookie, but right now it looks like they're going to have to. And so yeah, him playing lighter. And I know our guy, Matt Sagner has mentioned it multiple times on the out of structure podcast, like his freshman year, when he was playing at a lighter weight, he looked like a different kind of player. Like he looked like he had a different level of explosiveness. So Yes. Keep, keep him thin, keep him fit. Like let's get to training camp. Cause I, I'm ready to try to go to some practices up in St. Joe and see what's going on with that pass rush. Yeah. If you're looking for two guys that are the swing guys on the defense right now, I think it's George Karloftis and Juan Thornhill. And if, I don't think that you could have heard anything better from them uh, this week at minicamp, the confidence that Thornhill is speaking with, and then just the explosion, the shedding some weight from George Karloftis that, those are really positive indicators, and we'll see. They have to prove it on the field. That's where it's gonna the rubber is gonna meet the road. But if you wanted to hear something this week at minicamp, it would have been those two guys talking the way that they did. You mentioned how they need more at edge rusher, and let's go ahead and talk about the guy that could potentially become available, sort of, because Robert Quinn didn't show up to mandatory minicamp this week from Chicago. Once upon a time, this wouldn't have been a huge deal, but the new CBA means that every minicamp practice that you miss, you're going to be fined about $30,000 per day. So it's not a ton of money for a guy like Robert Quinn, who has earned, God, probably $75 million in his NFL career, but it's not nothing. And he's going to be fined about a million dollars or $100,000 for missing this week of OTAs with Chicago. And there's some speculation that he could be the next Bears defensive end to potentially be traded He's on a three-year deal left with about $13 million coming his way this year, 14 next year, and 13 in 2024. Whoever would acquire him if he's traded would not have any guaranteed money left, so he'd probably be expecting some sort of a restructure or a new contract wherever he goes. He's 31 years old. He'll be 32 this year. Serta, is this the type of player that you would be looking at to be able to have as a reinforcement along that defensive line if he were to become available a hundred percent if if the chiefs traded for robert quinn all of the question marks that i have about their defense right now where like i I am starting to talk myself into like being this could be a, a good defense like because of their youth and because of the athleticism that they've added and i i really like some of the key pieces that they have. Like, I think we're really underestimating their linebacker core. Like, I think we're really underestimating Willie Gay specifically. Like, everybody's talking about Nick Bolton and deservedly so, but I I think Willie Gay is going to put together a really nice season for the Chiefs this year. But if they add Robert Quinn, then every question mark I have about the pass rush is is gone. Like, you know, maybe it's not going to be – maybe you you don't wind up actually getting that much out of Frank Clark. Like, maybe he really is just – past his prime and it's and it's kind of over for Frank at this point of being like a premium edge rusher in the NFL we'll see I I think he could have a bounce back season especially if he comes in the year healthy like last season he was dealing with so many injuries prior to the year that when he came in it took him forever to even look like he was a, a, a just a small fraction of what he used to be but Robert Quinn at one point in his career, Robert Quinn was viewed as like one of the three best pass rushers in football. And he's been around for a really long time now. Like he was a part of the St. Louis Rams and was putting up double digit sacks for them for a long time, was one of the highest paid pass rushers in the NFL. And now he's just kind of bounced around. 
But like when you go look at his numbers, it's he's coming off an 18 and a half sack season. That's the quietest 18 and a half sack season in the NFL. Like everybody's talking about TJ Watt last season, everything he was doing and Miles Garrett. And it's like, oh, Robert Quinn had 18 and a half sacks for the Bears last season. Like, and that was without Khalil Mack for most of the year. And that was without Akeem Hicks for most of the year. Like, those are the two biggest names on their defensive line. And Robert Quinn was just like, don't forget about me. Uh, I'm just over here putting up numbers on a terrible football team. It's, I don't think that Robert Quinn is a guy like we saw Von Miller and Chandler Jones command top dollar contracts, even at their, I think those guys are basically both the same age, like 30, 31 years old. I don't think Robert Quinn is a guy that you should go give a bunch of money to, but if you can acquire him on his current contract from the Chicago bears, that is a huge win for their defense. And I think it's better than bringing back Melvin Ingram. Like I would be happier with landing Robert Quinn over the chiefs, bringing back Melvin Ingram. And, and, you know, obviously that's not gonna happen now that he's signed with the dolphins. But all of a sudden, I'd be talking myself into this unit being like a top 10 unit, possibly, if they go get Robert Quinn. I think that is a totally reasonable take that that could be the case. And it reminds me of like when you get to the baseball trade deadline, people talk about what what are the last pieces that you need to be able to construct this roster, right? Like you go back to the Kansas City Royals. I know this is going to be totally away from you, uh, Serta, but... You go back to the Royals in 2015. There was one thing they were missing, and it was a legit number one starter. And they needed it to be able to put them over the top. And all year, the guy that made the most sense was Johnny Cueto. It's like, if they just go get Johnny Cueto, they they have everything else to be, a, to be prepared to go on a potential World Series run. And then they added Johnny Cueto. And sometimes it's just the obvious pieces that you can go ahead and plug into the roster. I felt the same way when the Chiefs did this in the offseason with Jeremy Macklin. What was that, five, six years ago now? where they signed Macklin in the offseason. It was like, yeah, that makes sense. You had zero wide receiver touchdowns the previous year. Macklin had a history with Andy Reid. You plug and play. It makes all the sense in the world. That's basically what this is at defensive end with Robert Quinn. He was drafted by Steve Spagnuolo when Spags was the head coach in St. Louis with the Rams. He clearly fits all of the thresholds that Spags has for his defensive ends. He was super successful, had... 45 sacks in his first four years of his NFL career while he was with Spags. Like everything about this would be perfect in terms of the fit. It's just about the compensation, the money and the draft pick. So are you willing to pay him the $13 million? Yeah. Because you look at some of these contracts that were given out this off season, guys that are his age with his kind of production are getting 18 plus million dollars per year. Now you look at what the compensation is going to have to be. I think I would be willing to give up a third round pick to be able to acquire Robert Quinn, especially if I know I'm going to have him for multiple years. If I think he's going to be here for at least the next two years, I'm willing to do that for what is a championship level roster right now. And sort of correct me if I'm wrong here. The chiefs have two third round picks, right? Because of the Ryan polls compensation pick. It'd be kind of ironic, but I think I would give up that Ryan polls compensation pick to Ryan polls to acquire Uh, Robert Quinn I think that's the missing piece right now because you look at their defensive line Chris Jones is going to be an all pro or something close to that this year it's basically a a more or less contract year for him because of the out that the Chiefs have this upcoming season you've got Frank Clark again in what is essentially a contract year and we know our friend Therese Paler used to say contract year is undefeated now you put Robert Quinn into that third role with George Karloftis being able to be used 
in specific situations, that's an ideal way to go about building that defensive line. And now I'm starting to think about the defense in a completely different way. It just makes too much sense. Like you already have the Kansas city relationship with Ryan Poles. And then Chicago is a team that is in a full blown rebuild. Like they are going to be one of the five worst teams in football next season, in my opinion. And that's why they traded Khalil Mack. That's why they let Akeem Hicks walk. That's why they let out the receiver sort of. Yeah, it's it's Darnell Mooney and Byron Pringle and Elis <laughs> Jones. Trust me, I've been following the Bears very closely because I have Justin Fields and a lot of dynasty <laughs> fantasy football leagues. And what they have done this offseason to help their young quarterback has been a travesty. But they're just not good. And they're committing to we're just not going to be good. Like we're, we're going to be a bad football team this year. So it makes too much sense to just move on from Robert Quinn if you can. And yeah, this is a team that also didn't have draft picks this year. Like they weren't able to add a lot of pieces to their already bad roster because they didn't have any draft picks. And so they need to acquire draft picks because they need to get an infusion of talent for their young quarterback there to try to actually build around him and see what they can do there. So it would make sense. And you know, I was kind of like, oh, if you could get him for a fourth or a fifth round pick, but you talked me into it. I'll get, I'll give up a third round pick for Robert Quinn right now because I think if you trade for Robert Quinn, I think he probably he has a better chance than anybody not named Chris Jones to lead the Chiefs in sacks next year. Agreed. I mean, he he's shown it right last year. You mentioned he had eighteen and a half sacks. And you look at the way that the Chiefs have drafted this year and the, the amount of draft capital that they have next year as well, that also provides a little bit of cushion in terms of what you have cap-wise for yourself. You've got an out with Frank Clark and Chris Jones after the year. Like You're set up really well. And without having Tyreek Hill getting paid that $25 million contract, it that's what allows you to make these kinds of moves. You now can be the team that if something presents itself getting closer to training camp, you have the flexibility to say, all right, we're going to take advantage of this. Whereas if you have four or five different guys that are making 20 plus million dollars on your cap, it becomes a lot more difficult to maneuver like that. And Orlando Brown, I, I think we're going to see some sort of a long-term deal with him. And when they do, that presents even more flexibility because they will have uh, gotten out of the franchise tag money for this year, signed a long-term deal with him, which pushes that money into future years. They're in a really good spot, maybe the best of all of the contenders to be able to go out and make this move if Robert Quinn becomes available. And I think you're right. I think he's the missing piece for this defense. And I do think it makes sense for both sides. It makes sense for the Chiefs because that's the last need that they have on that side of the ball. And it makes sense for the Bears because, man, even when they're going to be good, if they're going to be good again, it's not going to be with Robert Quinn as a stalwart on that defense. So do you think that some of this could be being held up? Like, let's say the Chiefs are like Brett Veach is on the phone with Ryan Poles, like saying, let me get Robert Quinn. What do, what, what do you want for him? Is some of this on hold because of the Orlando Brown contract and they're focused on getting that done right now and then hoping they can come back to that afterwards? It might be. And these kinds of deals, a lot of the times just get done closer to training camp because there's like, there's no deadline right now, right? Mini camp's not going to tell you anything about Robert Quinn. He's probably happy, but he's not going to mini camp. He's in a similar situation to what we saw last year um, when Melvin Ingram was like, I'm, 
I'm just not doing the camp stuff. <laughs> I was like, I got money. Go ahead and find me. I do not care. Yeah, he, he's good. He doesn't need to be there for this stuff. He knows the system. He's a, he's a veteran at this point. It's like none of that is necessary for him to be there. So the next time that there's a real deadline is as we get closer to training camp when he actually does need to be there for those kinds of practices. So I, I think that's when you should expect more movement is – late july i bet you we're about five weeks away from something like this really coming to fruition and that's when we'll start seeing i think there will be not just a robert quinn move but if there's any other guys that potentially become available uh, some of those second round wide receivers from that class that's now coming up in 2019 uh the dk metcalfs terry mclaurins if they can't come to terms on a contract that's when you should start expecting some of those kinds of deals to potentially take place Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The other big thing that I wanted to talk about transaction-wise, Jarek McKinnon is back. I like the signing. Woo. I think it makes a lot of sense. He was really good for the Chiefs down the stretch last year. He looked healthy. He clearly still has some juice. He's a very good receiving back. And he was better in the running game than I expected him to be, honestly. Here's the downside, though. Ronald Jones has already been signed this offseason. He's going to take away some of the workload from Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in terms of like the, the road grading first and second down, obvious running downs. Now you bring back Jarek McKinnon who can and should be used in a passing down situation. Sir, we were both on the Clyde Edwards-Alaire hype train. We believed this was going to be the breakout season. He was going to have a thousand plus yards from scrimmage, probably closer to 1200. I got to back away. I I am selling all of my Clyde Edwards-Alaire shares in terms of the production. I think he can be good. I think the production is going to come back to the pack. And what's so frustrating is when they drafted him, the one thing that we all said that he had that other guys didn't in that class was his ability to be a game-changing threat in the passing game. And with Jarek McKinnon now being signed, with the way that they used Daryl Williams previously, I'm not sure we're ever going to see that here in Kansas City. And that's super frustrating to me, but I do like the fact that Jarek McKinnon is back. I think it's a really smart signing. Yeah, I mean... The transition that we saw their offense make once they got into the playoffs with Jarek McKinnon last season was a, a, a version of the Chiefs offense that we haven't seen since the Kareem Hunt days, that even the Alex Smith days. And 
I, I think that that was a glimpse of what we're going to see offensively from the Chiefs this year. Like those design screens that Andy was just has just always been so incredible at dialing up that they just haven't done over the last couple of years. And we saw them do that in the playoffs with Jarek McKinnon. And we saw how effective it is that like those design screens from Andy Reid, when you have a reliable pass catching running back, that's like seven yards, eight yards, nine yards, 15 yards, like guaranteed unstoppable offensive plays that you can rely on. And they drafted Clyde to be that guy. And we haven't really gotten a good answer from them on why he hasn't been utilized that way. And some of it is, I think he just hasn't developed as a blocker the way that they would really like him to. And they've just chosen not to do that. And some of it probably is just Mahomes and Andy Reed falling in love with just, okay, just get outside the pocket pet and make a big play down the field. But Clyde just hasn't really been that guy. And I, I think it's indisputable at this point that he should not have been a first round pick uh, no, no matter where you lie on, on the running back argument, but he's a fine player. Like he's a fine NFL running back. Clyde's just not a superstar caliber player. And I feel comfortable saying that at this point, Ronald Jones can be a home run threat in the rushing game. He's a, a God awful pass catcher cannot block <laughs> either. So, you know, he's not going to be a part of that game. But I, I actually, I love Jarek McKinnon in this role. And then I know they've, we've got some high hopes in uh, the Chiefs fan base for Isaiah Pacheco. This is a full-blown running back by committee now. Like this, this is a full-blown, I think, three, four running back committee. And Clyde, I think, is going to split early down touches with Ronald Jones now. And I think Jarek McKinnon is your set in stone pass catching running back. And I think that's great for McKinnon because for a guy who's had a ton of injury problems in his career, if he can just be your third down running back and and make plays out of the backfield in the passing game, I think that's great for him to try to keep him healthy for an actual like NFL calendar year. Like I think it's good for the offense overall. It's just not if, you know, for me and you, because we were talking ourselves into Clyde this season, it's probably just not going to happen. And yeah, I think it, it says a lot about Clyde's future here in Kansas city. I think Jarek McKinnon in the last four chiefs games last year, had 17 receptions for 190 yards and two touchdowns through the air. That's the guy that you need. That's the guy that I thought Clyde was going to be. And that's what makes it so all the more frustrating is like, not that Jarek McKinnon exceeded or succeeded in that role. That That's a good thing objectively, but the frustration is that that was supposed to be the Clyde role. He was supposed to be able to do that and also be on the field on early downs. So they weren't becoming predictable. He was a guy that could fill whatever you were going to do offensively. Clyde was going to be able to do it. And it's just becoming increasingly clear. Don't listen to their words. Listen to their actions at every turn. They have tried to make sure that he is not filling that role. I I think the biggest disappointment uh, for me with Clyde, especially coming in the NFL and, you know, maybe it had something to do with our evaluation process on him as a player in college being that, he was on one of the greatest offenses that we've ever seen in college football history. Um, He's just not explosive the way that you need an NFL running back to be. And you saw the explosiveness in Jarek McKinnon, like Jarek McKinnon still has the juice when you get him involved in the passing game where he can break off these huge chunk plays. And Clyde's just not that guy. Like Clyde is a grinder and he can get over a hundred yards in the rushing game when you give him 20 plus touches but there's a lot of guys in the NFL who can do that. You need explosive plays. And 
it's going to do so much for the Chiefs offense and Patrick Mahomes and like the strides that we saw him make last season with his patience and trying to live within the offense because of the way defenses were playing them. You know, the way you beat those deep looks that defenses were giving them design screens. Like when you can't do anything deep like that, those design screens are going to be a lock for 10 yards, like 10 yard gains, 12 yard gains. And the chiefs are going to do a lot of that stuff this year because it will eventually open things back up downfield because defenses are going to be like, damn it. We can't play like that anymore. Yeah. It's, it's frustrating. It's disappointing, but I, if they aren't going to utilize Clyde in that role, I'm glad they have Jarek McKinnon to be able to do it because we know he can fill that role at a really high level. And now if they don't want to have Clyde having 15 plus carries on an average per game, Ronald Jones is really good. And we know he can fill that role with five to 10 touches per game as well. So they've found two guys that can fill the roles that they need. I was just hoping that they wouldn't need to be able to find guys to fill these roles when they take a running back in the first round. Uh, so all things considered disappointing, but I'm glad that they were able to find guys to be able to fill the roles. I am curious what the offense is going to look like this year, because if Clyde's not going to be a huge piece of it, but they are going to incorporate Jarek McKinnon. I I've been taken aback a bit this week, Serta, by some of the comments from whether it be the returning wide receivers. I know McCole Hardman made mention to this or the coaching staff. Andy Reid talked about this as well. I think Patrick Mahomes made reference to it. Most of them seem to be indicated that the offense is going to be similar to what we've seen over the years with Patrick Mahomes. I didn't expect that. I thought there would be changes that would be made because when Tyreek Hill is not there, you can't run the same offense. Like it's just going to have to be different because that guy is a otherworldly talent and he's a one of one. Like I've never seen anybody like him in the NFL before, and we're probably never going to see anybody like him again. So I figured, okay, there's obviously going to be changes that are made. Maybe it's not going to be that there's changes made within the scheme. It's just going to be different guys filling different roles within that respective scheme. And so I wrote a piece over at arrowheadpride.com. You can check it out there if you would like to look at more of the nitty gritty in terms of the numbers, because it's tough to do this over the year. But I looked into what the projections should be for the pass catchers. And the way that I kind of divvied it up is I went on the premise that Mahomes' average season is about 5,000 yards and 40 passing touchdowns. And then you kind of break it down from there. The X amount goes to the receivers. Y goes to tight, tight ends, a.k.a. Travis Kelsey. And then there's about 750 yards typically that go to the running backs. So as I was looking through this, Serta, it's really hard to find a way to get any of the Chiefs receivers if everybody gets, stays healthy to a thousand yards unless you think somebody's just going to be terrible like it requires either one guy to get hurt or somebody to severely underperform relative to what our current expectations are so i wanted to talk to you about this a little bit because i think if i said to chiefs fans just flat out the chiefs will not have a 1000 yard wide receiver this year kelsey will get there but the receivers will not most of them would say that's a disappointing year given the fact that you're playing 17 games I don't think it would be. It's just different than what we've seen in the past. What is your initial reaction when you hear the possibility that the Chiefs would not have a 1,000-yard receiver? I think I agree with you. Um, I, I don't think it's shocking, and I don't think it means uh, that it would be a disappointing season for the offense or anything like that. I, I just think that it means Patrick Mahomes is spreading the ball around a ton, and it's 
You know, I, I do think there is a lot to the idea that Andy and Pat got a little too comfortable and complacent just saying we got to feed Kelsey and we got to feed Hill. Like, we just got to find those guys. And we saw it. We've seen it. How many postseasons in a row with Aaron Rodgers where it, it comes down to the end of the game and Rodgers is just force feeding Devontae Adams, even though there's three guys on Devontae Adams and it winds up costing them or something because there's somebody else open and Aaron Rodgers isn't even looking his way like that that happens in the NFL when you feel like you can't rely on the other guys like you get too locked into individuals and i think that this year for the first time in Patrick Mahomes' career he's going to have to abandon that like he's going to have to just find guys and, and trust those guys to make plays outside of Kelsey because i mean Kelsey is incredible but I, I think the offense does fail if Travis Kelsey gets like 190 targets like Cooper Cup got last season. Like like if he's only targeting Travis Kelsey on a weekly basis and just getting insane volume, I think the offense will struggle. But if he's actually distributing the ball and spreading it around, I think that works better for everybody. And, and it'll make everybody better because, you know, you're replacing you're trying to replace Tyree Hill, obviously. No one wide receiver that I think they brought in is going to command the amount of targets that Tyreek Hill commanded in the offense. But then you're also replacing Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle. I think Juju Sky Moore and MVS, that trio of wide receivers is better than Pringle and Robinson. I'm not going to put Hill in that group because he's in a group all of his own. You're trying to replicate that production with three to four people. Also, bringing back Jody Fortson if he's healthy. I think Jody Fortson is intriguing in this offense, uh, but that's a pretty deep sleeper. But I just think they're going to be able to distribute the ball a lot. And I think Andy is going to design a lot more things this year and get more creative to get these guys involved. And so, and I didn't even mention McCall Hardman. I think McCall Hardman is going to be better this season because he's not going to be stuck in that outside wide receiver role because they're utilizing Tyreek Hill in so many different spots. They can move McColl around. They can experiment with McColl, and they can just try to get him in space and utilize his explosive playmaking ability. So I, I think that there's going to be a lot of guys that have like similar targets, like a lot of guys like 60, 70 targets or something like that, as opposed to just having – you know, two guys who get 130 targets or 140 targets. And I think that's good for the Chiefs offense. I think what you saw last year from the Cowboys is what I expect this year from the Chiefs. If you look at the way that their targets were distributed, man, it was like seven different players that had between 35 and 80 receptions. CeeDee Lamb finished with 1,100 yards. He led the team. And then you had Amari Cooper with 865. You had Dalton Schultz with 800. You had Cedric Wilson with 600. Michael Gall or yeah, Michael Gallup with, 450 Zeke and Pollard combined for about 600 that's kind of what I'm expecting from the Chiefs this year you're gonna have probably it's Travis Kelsey in that 1100 yard range I think the Juju slash MVS will be in that 800 range I think you'll have somebody either depending on how it goes McColl or uh, Sky Moore in that 600 and then the 500 range and then you're gonna have a couple of guys that probably surprised. Maybe it's a running back that has 350 yards and you got another guy that emerges. Maybe it is a deep sleeper that has 250 yards. I know there's been some Josh Gordon buzz. Maybe he turns it around and he's got like 250 yards this year. That, that would make some sense. A little bit of a, a bigger target that could do something for you in the red zone. That, that's possible. Those are the kinds of targets that I expect this year. It's different. It's not going to look the same as it did a year ago. 
But man, the Cowboys had one of the best offenses in the league last year. And Dak Prescott, there was a portion of the season where he looked like he was going to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He finished with 40 touchdowns and 4,500 yards. That'd be a really good year this year for uh, Patrick Mahomes. And if that's what the Chiefs offense looks like this season, and we talked about it already at the beginning of this podcast, the Chiefs defense could be a top 10 to 12 unit. Suddenly we're talking about them as a legitimate contender for the Super Bowl once again, but that's what it's going to require. It's going to require everybody to have a, a lesser role than what you had from your number one wide receiver last year, but better depth than what you had last year as well. Yeah, I think the biggest thing with their offense this season is just going to be like reliability, like just being in the right place at the right time, being where you're supposed to be, because we are going to see early on, like there's probably going to be some growing pains with with timing and chemistry and stuff like that as they get used to playing with each other in live action NFL games like you can't replicate what Tyreek Hill did for the chiefs uh, over several years where it was just Tyreek. And, you know, I think about like prime Antonio Brown and and Ben Roethlisberger, like when the play breaks down, it's just get open. And that's who I'm looking for. That's what it was for Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. And they're exceptional at it, but all of the guys that you have right now, like I feel better about the depth overall on the offense than I did last season. Like, Last season, I was legitimately mad when they came away without adding another wide receiver in last year's draft. And then in the offseason, didn't add anybody else. And it was just, okay, uh, well, we're going to see what McColl's got now. And then McColl's playing 17% of the snaps midway through the season. Like, it, it, I, I was mad about that because the depth was an issue. And letting Tyreek Hill walk allowed you to go acquire a lot more depth. And the depth pieces that you have are better than the depth pieces that you had last season. So if we believe that excellent quarterbacks elevate the play of their pass catchers, then they should be fine because Patrick Mahomes is going to elevate the play of all of those pass catchers. And he's going to distribute the ball to a number of different guys, which I think at every wide receiver position, they've gotten better for the most part. You haven't gotten better than having Tyreek Hill, but you're better than where you were everywhere else. Yeah, and you mentioned Tyreek Hill. Before we get out of here, his podcast has officially been released. It was a podcast that he did with Drew Rosenhaus. It has made the rounds. I'll read one quote here, and we can react to this. Drew Rosenhaus said, quote, There was a lot of times during the year that we felt that Tyreek was underutilized and wasn't fully appreciated in Kansas City. They really weren't taking full advantage of all of his ability and talent, end quote. I, we talked about this the last time that we had a show, and this will hopefully be the last time that we have to talk about it. I think we have now come to the conclusion that Tyreek Hill wanted to be the face of a franchise. And Ron made a great comp. He said this is basically the Kyrie Irving situation, where Kyrie was with LeBron in Cleveland and said, you know what? I want to be my own man. I want to go lead a team. I want to have my own team because I've shown I can do it as a sidekick. Now it's my turn to go do it with somebody else. The off-field stuff set aside. We're just talking about the on-field for Tyreek or on-court production for Kyrie. Kyrie has gone on to be a super productive player elsewhere. He's gone to multiple different stops and at every turn he has been very productive but he's not a winning player now because he's not on a team that produces as much winning as he did when he had one of the greatest players in the world 
with LeBron James. I think you're going to see something similar with Tyreek. Tyreek's going to be super productive in Miami. He's going to get his. He's probably going to have like 150 targets this upcoming season. He's going to have some game-changing plays where you're watching Red Zone on Sunday. The Miami Dolphins are playing against the Buffalo Bills. And Tyreek goes for a 60-yard classic reception where he takes the ball. It's on a slant RPO, and he's gone. And nobody can catch him, and he's doing the peace sign into the end zone. That's going to happen because Tyreek is an otherworldly talent. I also think he's going to win a whole hell of a lot less than he would have if he was still in Kansas City. And I also think it's outlandish to suggest that he was not utilized correctly in Kansas City. He had 160 targets last year. He had nine touchdowns and thirteen, almost 1,300 yards. And he was one of the most productive wide receivers in the NFL for his, the entirety of his career here in Kansas City. He was utilized fine. If you wanted to move on, that's all right. I get it. You were always going to be third behind Kelsey and Patrick. I get it if you wanted to be number one elsewhere, and he is that down in Miami. But let's not lie about what was happening in Kansas City. It's just not true. Well, Drew Rosenhouse was just doing his job. Like, the <laughs> agent is supposed to get the payer played, right? Because Drew Rosenhouse makes more money when Tyreek Hill makes more money. So Drew Rosenhouse is like, they're not treating you like they should. Like, they're they're you're you're supposed to be the face of the franchise, and, you know, you're – you're in the back seat compared to Mahomes and Kelsey. Like, I think all of this was put in Tyreek Hill's mind by Drew Rosenhaus. But I understand him thinking that. But, like, wide receivers just generally aren't the faces of franchises. Like, th- th- that's just not really how the NFL works. There's a lot of incredible wide receivers in the NFL right now. I think we're legitimately in the golden age of wide receiver in the NFL. Like, there's just superstar wide receivers all across the league and so many like different types of athletes who are all incredible and all amazing to watch. But there's a reason that those guys just don't wind up being the faces of your franchise. And there's a reason why superstar wide receivers generally don't play for one team their entire career, because you can, you feel like you can replace them in a way that you can't replace other positions on the football field. And that's ultimately what it came down to is the chiefs were like, listen, we'd like to keep you, but this is the price that we will keep you at. Otherwise we're willing to walk because we feel like we can figure something else out. And, you know, and maybe ultimately that's what wound up offending Tyree kill is that they were willing to walk in any circumstance. And so now he's kind of just, unloading like as if there was some kind of animosity but like we heard from Patrick Mahomes this week and Patrick Mahomes was like I mean I saw him uh, a couple months ago in in Florida and he was same old Tyreek like we were just we were just hanging out having fun at a Formula One race like I, I I think that some of this is probably blindsided some of his former Chiefs teammates but I also think some of this is just publicity to drum up podcasting because the Kansas City Chiefs are a pretty tight-lipped organization. Like they do not allow players to do things for the most part, like uh, media-wise and podcasts. Like they prefer you just not do that stuff, and that's why you don't see Chiefs players do that stuff regularly uh, when they're playing for the team. And now the Dolphins obviously don't care about that, so they're letting Tyree Kill do it. So he never would have been able to do that here in Kansas City, and that's something he's probably wanted to do because he wants to expand on his brand the way other athletes do that kind of stuff right now. So. All power to him, but this was publicity to to drum up attention for his podcast. I did not listen to it. I don't want to listen to it. I'm never going to listen to it, so I don't really care. 
I listened to the clips that were posted on Twitter and that was enough. I was good. I, I didn't need anything more than that. I heard what Drew Rosenhouse had to say. I heard what Tyreek had to say about the Chiefs. I'm good. I, I don't I got like probably 10 minutes of the 45 minute episode and that was enough for me. Uh to your point on faces of the franchise being a wide receiver, is DK Metcalf the only one currently? <laughs> if you're going around the league and saying, okay, this wide receiver is the face of the franchise, I think it's just DK. Yeah, and it's because they traded their quarterback. <laughs> yeah. not, not, not because DK deserves to be the face of the franchise. They just don't have anybody else there that could be the face of the franchise. Yeah, they, they traded Russ, and then they cut Bobby Wagner, who would have otherwise been probably locally the face of the franchise, given the fact that he was the face of the defense during their winning tenure. I, I think that's it. Maybe Kyle Pitts, who's a tight end in yeah, Atlanta. Yeah, Ky- Kyle Pitts would be a good one. Maybe there's a case in philly for aj brown after making the big trade because jalen hurts isn't necessarily a superstar but it's still probably jalen hurts just because he's the quarterback i I think that's it i I think the only one in the nfl right now is dk metcalf and then maybe you could argue um i I guess tyreek is 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 the other one (laughs) because i think he's the face of the dolphins right now like i you could argue Tua. But man, they might replace Tua within the next six months. He they might, might not have, even be. The they starter. might have Tom Brady next year. So, uh, Tyree got what he wanted, at least for a year. That I guess. Well, I hope uh, I hope Ron is having a good time while he's on vacation in Kansas City. I think he's like six blocks right now away from Steven Serta and couldn't make it to do his job. You know, as as a co-host of Show and BK, we're gonna have to make this BK and Serta featuring show sometimes on the Chiefs. Serta, thanks for filling in, man. This has been great. Uh, We will talk with you guys again in two weeks. It is officially the quiet time of the year, but we will have good content for you. Go ahead and rate us, review us, five stars only over on the Apple Podcast app. Until next time, we are out of here.